Hey everyone. It's a very complicated time out there right now. And it is everyone's responsibility to stay as informed as they possibly can, as at this time, ignorance is not an option. Never before in history has more information been more readily available. And with the advent of technology, I think people are getting an eye into things that they had never really thought about before. And it is our job to stay on top of these things. Sometimes it may seem overwhelming, but when people are being hurt, you can't look away. You can't pretend it isn't happening. So do whatever you can to be as involved as possible. Get out there and be active in a safe way. But don't just sit there and observe as that time is past. It's no longer okay to simply be on the sidelines. You have to pick a side. Black Lives Matter and police brutality is not something that any country should tolerate. Do good, be good, help however you can. And now, this week's episode. Twinema. 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 Cinema. Twinema. Cinema. Hey everyone, this episode contains spoilers, so if you don't want to end up like Chad driving that BMW at 14, watch the movies first. Hello and welcome once again to Twinema Cinema. My name is Max and I'm here as always with my lovely twin brother, Joey. Hey guys, it's me, Joey. And we have a uh, towering treat for you today as we are Taking a suggestion for the first time uh, from some extended family, our awesome cousin Chris suggested to us that we do the pairing of The Raid, Redemption, and Dread, both from 2012, at least as far as their release dates are concerned, in the U.S. And uh, we just wanted to say off the top of it, uh, thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you, Chris. It has been a while since we've seen you in person due to this quarantine, but uh, thanks for keeping in touch with us, man. So as far as I remember with these particular movies, is they, uh, they both have to do with... Uh, you know, multi-story buildings with police figures being stuck inside of them and they have to kind of fight their way to the top and then fight their way out. See, this is uh, a movie pairing that as soon as it was suggested, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But for me, I had never thought of these two as dueling movies. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I saw them at completely different times in my life. Like, I didn't see The Raid until much later. And I'm pretty sure I saw both of these in theaters, but I haven't seen them in quite a while. So many of the smaller details I think I've... uh... Uh, let slip from my brain for want of trying to remember other, you know, quote unquote, important things. I mean, there's plenty of stuff coming up the works in my mind. So I understand completely. Uh, it must be hereditary. Oh, that's a pretty good movie too. I like that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't exactly be a twin of a cinema, but that'd be interesting to do a mini episode on hereditary in uh, midsummer. <laughs> Just do Ari Aster double feature. Hey, we could do a retrospective on filmmakers at some point, but yeah. before we do that, we got to get on to these two films. So, Max, what do you remember about them? What do you know? You already said that they have police figures trying to get through a building. Like, is that all you know? Because I remember that I, if I, if I remember correctly, anyhow, both of the films, I think, are centered around drugs. I think that's like the key reason the officers are involved. Is, is, is that what you remember? I know there are drugs involved. I'm not sure if they center around drugs. I know it was definitely like a selling point of dread as they used the 3D technology of the time to use slow-mo and 3D to emphasize when the characters are, you know, using a particular drug called slow-mo. Well, that's pretty sweet. Um, is uh, that drug available? I mean, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> I, I had no idea that Dread was a 3D movie. So it's a 3D movie? It was a 3D movie. Um, around that time, I believe that almost everyone and their mother uh, was releasing movies in 3D. Um, although pretty much everyone except our good friend Jim Cameron shot them natively. So they were all post-converted later. Gotcha. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, you're right. There are very few that were shot in 3D during that time frame. Um, but the ones that were are totally worth it. I mean, not all of them. Some of them. Avatar's worth it. Watch Avatar in 3D. 
I like Avatar. Yeah, if it's a James Cameron movie, watch it in 3D. It is worth it. It may not actually, you know, be, you know, good, but worth it. But um, we're slipping from the points a little bit. I know you and me uh, will probably fight about Avatar another time at uh, the next Thanksgiving. But, uh, yeah, as far as what I remember, if we play that little game of ours, what can you remember? Um, the one I remember the least is probably The Raid, which was subtitled Redemption in the U.S. Um, I know it involves police going into the building to take on a drug lord of some kind, and they have to, you know, both of the movies are very video game-like, from what I recall, and you have to get to the top to beat the boss and then get out of the building in one piece. And gotcha. you know, lots of lots of martial arts. Yeah, I remember that being a very big selling point for the raid and being something that inspired a lot of other work. Uh, most specifically, I remember uh, Daredevil was quite heavily inspired by the raid. And it looks cool. I remember that. I remember the fights being just excellent. And with Dread, what I remember about that, it doesn't, that doesn't, ring a bell at all i feel like in my in my mind's image of what dread is or was there's a lot more gunplay um and a lot less martial arts action i mean also it's set in the future so that's a pretty big distinction um it's set i don't remember how far in the future but far enough in the future that some stuff gets a little crazy that's for sure and it also allows them an easy way out of certain problems because they can say future tech but yeah. i guess worth noting <laughs> one big thing about the raid that everyone should know it's foreign the whole the movie is set in indonesia i want to say jakarta but i can't remember it exactly but yeah okay it is yeah, that's definitely, definitely not in the english difference. language big difference maker for sure which is awesome the fact that we have, uh, I guess this is going to be the first dueling films where they're in different languages that we have come across. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so there's going to be some um, cultural differentiations as far as that is concerned. But um, yeah, it should be real interesting as far as this is concerned because, yeah, both of them seemingly have the same premise of video game-like movement upwards in a building uh, as opposed to downwards like a Donkey Kong. Um, wait, I no, guess... that's a lie. That's a lie that you go up You go up in Donkey Kong too. <laughs> You're right. The barrels are what come down, Max. Yes. Come on. Um, I was remembering the threat. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I really don't remember much about Dredd's setup. And I think that's kind of the same thing with the raid. I feel like they kind of just go pretty quickly into the action. But I it's feel like... Yeah, like... You're in it. I feel like Dread probably brings brings it out a little more and explains things a little more because for some reason between the two I remember there being a beginning for Dread and in the raid all I remember is them being in the building. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the raid starts right with them entering the building. But again, time will tell when I rewatch the thing. In which exactly. case, I'm going to make an effort to watch it in the original language, not the dubbed version. There's a there's a dubbed version? I mean, there's a dubbed version of a lot of things. Um, well, I mean, just the fact that its real title is The Raid, not The Raid Redemption, because it's the first movie in what would be a two-movie series, but there was no, you know, movie before it to say, hey, this, there's something that needs to be redeemed. Uh, fair point. I feel like just you saying that, I keep associating it with being the sequel. In which case, there also is a sequel, which is easily one of the best martial arts movies ever made. Is it called The Raid Redemption 2? No. Like, they kind of dropped the uh, the subtext there. <laughs> so it's, it's just, just called The Raid, the Raid 2. 2. Okay. See, that's good. <laughs> I mean, like it, not confusing at all to anyone. Dread is, well, spelled, you know, different because it's... D-R-E-double-D. Well, Dread's also a remake of a Sylvester Stallone movie, is it not? Well, I mean, the Sylvester they're both based on the same comic. Okay, gotcha. So it, they take place in, in that comic universe, but they're not the same movie. Or not the same movie. They don't follow the no. same story. Okay. Like, I imagine they tried to save some money with this Dread version by having it in one building, whereas the Sly version... Uh, kind of takes place all over the city and for some reason has Rob Schneider in it. Uh, cool. Wait, <laughs> Rob Schneider? I feel like, wait, I feel like I'm yeah. confusing myself with Demolition Man and with Judge Dredd. They both had Rob Schneider. They really? He's in both yes. of them? Yes. Okay, well, good. Now it was my a weird not... connection in 95. Way to go, Rob Schneider. Or I guess it's Demolition Man when it was earlier, but I don't know. Yeah. So Rob Schneider was in action movies doing none of the action. Hey, somebody's got to be comedic relief. Rob Schneider, I guess. <laughs> 
was funny once. You can right. do it. <laughs> he did do it. All right, boys and girls, let's get into it. We're going to disappear for about four hours watching some upwards action in a building, possibly in English, possibly not. Uh, and uh, we'll come out on the other side and uh, we'll talk at you about it a little bit. All right, we will be back. For this week's movies, The Raid Redemption and Dread both can be found on all rental platforms. And for streaming options, you can see The Raid Redemption on Tubi, and you can see Dread on Pluto TV. Both of those are ad-based programs. Enjoy the shows. 800 million people living in the ruin of the old world. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. The men and women of the Hall of Justice. She has control of everything. Levels 1 to 200. We're gonna have to go through him. I want him dead. And we're back. Joe, I am so happy as this is the second week in a row where I have just legitimately enjoyed both installments equally. Right? For me, this week, we saw two really good films um, that I quite enjoyed as well for different reasons, but I did not realize when I watched these films the first time around how similar they are. It is kind of freaky. I know. And it's. I honestly feel it wasn't intentional, but... When you get down to it, there, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah, they are strikingly similar, and I think this is uh, the first time, and at least the only time for the foreseeable future, where our two films are in different languages. Yeah, especially weird considering the director of the Raid, uh, Gareth Evans, is Welsh. So him directing a movie in Indonesia in the native language there. I think he really respects the martial art he's putting on screen enough to where he wouldn't let it be done in English. Which I think is really a good choice. Uh, The film works so well. And because uh, the raid specifically has very little dialogue uh, comparatively, I think you can get away with it being uh, uh, an easily palatable international feature because everything is so straightforward and shown visually that the dialogue really isn't necessary to tell this story. Yeah, it, it pretty much is only necessary in establishing some in, in establishing certain parts of the plot. Dread, on the other hand, is pretty much all about the violence and the grunting of Carl Urban as the judge Dread. Yeah, he had he had a grimace the entire movie. Apparently, that was very intentional uh, due to the comic book character uh, not really showing emotion beyond that. Uh, but at some points it is just so it is so distracting the fact that he doesn't have any change in emotion uh visually on his face but i think that's kind of a testament to dread as well as um in the earlier 1995 incarnation of judge dread pretty much fans immediately dismissed it because within the first act he took off his helmet which is like a major no-no in the world of judge dread (laughs) and the fact that he was just spouting catchphrases so uh, it was uh, kind of an improvement as far as the uh, eyes of fandom is concerned with him keeping the helmet on and just grimacing the entire time. So none of it was actually betrayed. And most of the emotion of the movie comes from the supporting characters. I think they also made commentary on him taking off his helmet by having the his partner not er, not wear a helmet during the during the entire thing, which makes sense in context of the movie with one throwaway line that it affects her psychic abilities, uh, which is good enough to explain explain why she's not wearing a helmet into essentially what becomes a combat zone. I've never actually seen Judge Dredd myself. It's one of two Sylvester Stallone movies that I started watching and then just gave up on. I've never seen Cobra either. Like I watched the first 10 minutes of both of those movies and was just like, this isn't going to be good, is it? And I just quit watching. It's very disappointing because I have a, a, an incredible love for action films and both of those ones just rubbed me the wrong way so quickly that I just couldn't, 
I couldn't deal with it. I think the major problem right there is the fact that it was a Sylvester Stallone movie and he kind of made changes to the production that made it a lesser product. But I don't want to get too much into the, you know, movies we're not discussing, but have it, I went the extra mile on this one and rewatched Judge Dredd before um, this. And it's a fantastic, you know, production design and score and things like that. But acting wise, it is empty. And I heard that the story is also unbelievably convoluted in Judge Dredd. And that's just not the case in this version. This version is so straightforward, um, just like the raid. And that's why they work. They don't really go beyond the scope of their story. Yeah, I think you uh, had commented less than 10 minutes of setup plot-wise before the nitty-gritty of the action gets in. Like you see Dread take down a perp before he gets the call to go pick up his new little uh, partner. And the raid, they're already on the way to the building at the very beginning, and you get to see little flashbacks of uh, establishing the main character. I was actually watching the time code specifically for these moments uh, in each of these films because they're very similar. In the raid, at the 10-minute mark, that's when they enter the apartment complex that they are raiding. And in Judge Dredd, it's at about the 20-minute mark when they officially step into the building and then for both of these films, that's the point of no return. After they go in, they are in until the conclusion of the film. It's the checkpoint, if you will, as these movies are chock full of video game references. <laughs> yeah, and it just keeps going from there. Both of them are just pretty much non-stop action. Yeah, and I, I know you had commented previously that um, sometimes it's to the point of tedium um, in certain cases, but it's, it is relentless nonetheless. But I, I always appreciate the similarities of these movies as it is just fun to analyze. Uh, so um, what kind of similarities did you find in these two projects, Joey? Well, we've got quite a few. So I'm just going to name a, a bunch of them right off the bat. So obviously we have police officers. Um, they are breaking into, um, in both of these, it's actually apartment complexes um, that are controlled entirely by drug lords. They have their hideouts on the corresponding top floors of each building. They each have intercom systems that they can speak to all of the residents in the entire complex simultaneously. Both head drug lords in each film have access to video cameras that are on every floor showing almost every space in these buildings. In both films, we do have references to drugs um, as the main, as the main source of our, uh, villain drug lord character's income. Although it is less referenced in the raid, it is heavily involved in Dread. We also have both uh, apartment buildings in the movies as tall and run down, populated by families, in which case we have the children in these families also getting into crime and uh, being used as soldiers by the main bosses. And they are bosses because they all have sub-bosses that our heroes have to fight to get to the main boss. Yeah, that, that is a, that's a good apt comparison right there. I didn't think about that, but you're right. There is a, a mini boss or a sub boss in both, both films. And then uh, we also have uh, help from the residents of the buildings. And I say help with quotation marks as it is uh, kind of forced upon them at various points, but they kind of help the cops at, you know, certain points, uh, in there. Oh, that's uh, a very good that, that's a very good note right there, Max. In both films, the drug lords ask the residents of their apartment complex to assist in taking down the police officers. In the raid, they use a very fun incentive of no one has to pay rent again if they succeed in taking down these police officers. And that's probably not going to come true even if they do succeed because it's a drug lord, you can't really trust him. But I, I can see the appeal of not having to pay rent ever again. Especially since Lena Headley's uh, incentive in Dread is to not murder you. Yeah. What, what a big difference there, right? You know, you got the carrot and the stick. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, we also have dirty cop betrayals in both movies. In each of these movies, there are police officers who are shown to be dirty cops on the take in some capacity. The reveal in the raid for that comes much earlier than it is in Dread. 
uh, which I think adds to a little bit of the the drama of we know that one of these police officers uh, is dirty, whereas in Dread, it's kind of like the last mini boss before we get to the final boss. It's uh, it's the Elite Four, if I want to go with a Pokemon reference here. Perfect. Before you, fa- before you go, you know, before you face off against Gary. Damn it, Gary. Gary. <laughs> and um, I guess my favorite similarity between these two movies is entirely based upon the previous incarnations from the filmmakers or the series uh, with the raid in particular, Gareth Evans' first movie was Marindau, which is essentially the same plot, one guy going up against some criminals, but it is much more complicated and spread out and therefore a little less uh, potent. It's diluted. And Judge Dredd was kind of a mess in 95. Too much plot, too much everything, and goddamn Rob Schneider. In both cases, they slimmed the hell out of the plots. You pretty much only have the action and minimal setup in a very tight location. So it simplifies it and makes it better. That's my favorite commonality between these two. Excellent. Just a couple of little pickups here on uh, similarities. Uh, I think one of them that is just so simple is that they have to bust into one of the residents' apartments um, in order to stay away from the uh, impending forces. If I'm going to pick one, the raid definitely does it better because it becomes a very fun and unique scene in and of itself. Whereas in Dread, it's a it's a shorter version. Although they do also ramp up the drama in that because we've already had some emotional conflict with uh, that particular resident's husband or boyfriend. Yeah, um, having Olivia Thurlby's psychic character, Anderson, knowing she killed this one guy and realizing later it's this resident's husband is an emotional swing that kind of goes against the bang-bang nature of that movie. And as we start slipping into uh, differences here, that is kind of the main difference in the two styles. Uh, as Dread is very bipolar as far as things are concerned. It swings wildly from bang-bang, shoot him up kill everyone, to Anderson's kind of little subplot, realizing there has to be some nuance to justice. And you're going to have this conflict, whereas you killed this guy who is going to be a father, but no more because he's dead. Whereas the raid, you're definitely walking a line of right and wrong the entire time. And it's not really to any of these movies' detriment. It just is wildly different styles. I think the big difference in how that style comes across is who your main protagonist is. In Judge Dredd, the main protagonist is Judge Dredd, who is not as nuanced in his take on justice. It is, you broke the law, suffer the consequences. Whereas in The Raid, we have our protagonist, our main protagonist, being this police officer who has a sense of nuance, who has a subjective look on situations and can understand where these characters are coming from that puts them into the circumstance they're in. We don't really see a change in his character in that regard, uh, which is good because he's on the right side in this situation, whereas we do see a bit of a softening in Judge Dredd uh, of his character because of the rookie, because of Anderson's uh, slow pull towards there has to be a better way. And I think that the entire point too, because all of society in Dredd has devolved into this police state, which is semi-fascistic in nature, but it kind of goes into almost satire at that point on the level of Starship Troopers, maybe not that extreme, but having an officer like Dredd full of absolutes being softened by the rookie is a nice little arc for him, but most of the emotional weight is being pulled by Anderson, the rookie. In this film, and I assume it's also in the comic series as well, it is referenced that these police officers, in quote, they're actually called judges. That's why it is Judge Dredd They are judges. And what that means in the context of this film is that they get to be the jury, the executioner, and the judge. They put judgment upon people because in this society, there's apparently not enough time or resources or what have you for us to have actual court trials. Yeah, you have 800 million people living in huge mega cities, so crime uh, adjusts accordingly. (laughs) That's one of the main complaints of 
police forces in our reality, in the actual world, is that a police officer should not be judge, jury, and executioner. That is not your role. And because that is set up from the beginning of Dread to be the case, it is just, it is dramatically different. And I think by setting that up, it does make you question the role of police officers in society. And at this particular point in time, that's never been more important. Yeah, kind of addressing the elephant in the room there. Uh, police officer as a hero is definitely a trope that is a little, you know, uh, I, won't, I won't say squinchy is the word. It's like cringy. Cringy is the word um, when describing that, especially when you have such extreme measures being used by dread. Uh, although thankfully in the raid, uh, it's a little more on the straight and narrow of right and wrong, so you're not uh, asked to question too much there. There's dirty cops involved, but there is an absolutely good protagonist the entire time telling us, you know, no, bad. The fact that in the raid, the only character that really does anything extrajudicial is the dirty cop. He's the only person who kills somebody in the movie without them first being attacked, without it being a form of self-defense. And that moment is really early into the film. It's like 20 minutes into the movie. It's, it's almost right away once they break into the apartment complex. And it's amped up by the fact that it is a kid. It is an unarmed kid who gets murdered by a police officer. And you can just see what happens. You can see the shock that goes through all of these officers. And they realize that now they're in a whole new ball game. Well, yeah, and they're dead because of this guy taking extrajudicious action. They are now defending themselves, but they also are aware that they're in the wrong. And it's a... All, Although you don't have to question too much of the character's actions because of the setup of both of these films, that moment really hits home as what do we do in this situation? But uh, many times the uh, violence inherent in both of these films is, uh, like I said, cringy, but it's also established heavily within the world of these movies. So it can be in enjoyed to a certain extent as well, especially with the hyper-violence of Dread. Pretty much everything is bright red when it comes to violence. Both films pretty much give our characters a green light on killing people, and they do so by, for the most part, making it be that they are the ones being attacked. And since they are actually being attacked by people wielding guns, by people wielding knives, machetes, etc., trying to kill them, self-defense is completely justifiable. And in Dread, they go to the extreme of it being that the judges actually get to be executioners and that anyone trying to take the life of a judge is automatically given a death sentence. That is a crime punishable by death. So it's just kind of, like you said, it goes into a video game realm where there is no wrong that these characters can do in so many ways because they are just defending themselves. A plus of that is they have the green light, but they're also at certain points allowed to question the green light to, you know, certain extents. <laughs> Which is what makes these films much better than just action schlock. There is character and there is story and there is a point. To, to these films like the action is pretty incredible both of these films do action super well i would say they're dramatically different in their action approach because obviously well maybe not obviously if you haven't watched the films but obviously after having watched the films dread is heavily focused on gunplay it is almost exclusively through guns and through different ammunition that people are taken down that people are killed that people are murdered whereas in the raid it is a much more even split because people seem to run out of ammo a lot earlier because it's they're not more conserving their ammo yeah they're not conserving their ammo and it's set in a more realistic world which is another huge difference is that the raid is set in essentially modern time i believe modern time when the film came out it's just a different culture basically but yeah it's a uh, present day yeah, whereas Dread is set, um, I don't remember if there's a specific timeline, but it's set in the future after some kind of, I think, nuclear fallout. Yeah, an entire apocalypse has happened. There's only one, maybe two cities still functioning in the U.S., yeah, and they're megacities, as Max made reference earlier. 800 million people living between, I think they said, Boston and Washington, D.C. So, like, that corridor is considered one city in this world. In the world of the comics, apparently, there was a megacity, two out west, but it might have been annihilated at some point. And then there's Texas City. <laughs> Texas City? Nice. Yes, Texas City, which is, you know, as you can imagine, its own, you know, city-state. <laughs> 
which isn't referenced at all in the film and isn't it, it's a good it's good thing they keep it very simple in both of these movies and then it's implied in the raid that there's a larger criminal network at work between the police and the criminals and all kinds of stuff but again it's kept very simple and uh it is to the benefit of the movie for that another big difference in the two films is the fact that dread really leans into the drug use as a part of the whole storyline and the drug in question is called slow-mo which essentially slows down reality the people who are on it are experiencing reality at one percent the speed of the actual reality they're in and i think that was definitely a tool of the production as they were experimenting with digital filmmaking as well as native 3d filming which uh is yeah that definitely helps out the movie as well as pads out the time yeah it extends the time of the movie a little bit but it does it in such a visually exciting way i was gonna say stunning Yes, it looks amazing. It's just such a really good idea using that these drugs to slow down time. It gives you the ability to cut into slow-mo, but to cut into it organically, which you don't ever get in any other film. Like it, it doesn't, slow-mo exists in other films to address a different type of situation. In this film, it exists on its own as a reality. It's a distortion of reality caused by something um, specific. Whereas oftentimes in other films, the distortion of reality is caused by like some kind of emotional trauma. This one is caused by a specific drug that does it to you. In particular, I'm thinking of any Zack Snyder movie. He uses speed ramping for everything and it looks cool, but it's not exactly you know natural as far as the action is concerned i think in watchmen specifically for Zack snyder it's used really well because how else would superheroes interact with normal speed moving people it just doesn't work otherwise whereas in this movie we don't have that kind of an element but it does allow us to see some things uh very differently and make some of the action sequences a lot more fun a lot more interesting like the bullet time elements that happen of people in slow-mo or the bullet time sequences of people on slow-mo is pretty intense it is it is it looks really cool, but it is also just extremely violent and extremely graphic. Whereas everything that happens in the raid, very fast and real. Like it is choreographed insanely well, so much so that the camera is actually part of the choreography. And it becomes more naturalistic in that the camera has to jump out of the way if a character makes a sudden movement. Like if he, you know, for example, brings a guy's neck down on a broken door, but the camera then jumps out of the way like it's a member of that particular fight and it's giving the fighters space to continue that is one thing that they do very well is the the choreography is second to none the choreography for the fights is insane it's like the whole movie is just one giant martial arts sequence and it's a thing of beauty um and i think one of the things they do really well in that movie too is like you said they move within the space they've established these hallways and these rooms and they just live in that space we never really jump out of it we don't do any like wide shots of the building that doesn't ever happen we're just in the space with these characters the entire time there's there's no tarantino or spielberg overhead shots or anything fancy like that the camera is stuck within the hallway so much so that you could probably assume that when they had the set they didn't remove any walls or anything to allow the camera more room the camera is stuck there with you yeah i feel like they did did that very purposefully to cause a, a sense of claustrophobia and just being trapped. There are moments where they do have more specific sets when they go into any of the rooms in the film. The rooms are much bigger than they would be in reality, which I think is fun. I like that. But when they're in the hallway, that hallway it's a friggin' hallway. Like you're not you're not seeing anything that you wouldn't see while you're in that kind of a hallway. And yeah, it wouldn't be until like Daredevil that you got a better hallway fight. And even Daredevil, I wouldn't call it a better hallway fight. It's just cool because it's got a superhero going on in it. Whereas on in the raid, it just it's never ending. It's like a video game in the raid because these people keep coming out of seemingly nowhere. Uh, in Dread, it makes a little bit more sense because the building holds like a hundred thousand people or something insane it might have even been more than that i think it was like a million or a couple million yeah i don't remember but the the building's a kilometer tall it's 200 floors logical that there would be that many people in there whereas in the raid 
which has a, actually has a higher body count than dread, people just are, they're coming out of nowhere. They're literally coming out of the woodwork. And judging from the state of the woodwork, yeah, I'm not surprised. But again, kind of contributing to the video game nature of it, they just keep showing up until you beat them. Yeah, exactly. Until you get to the boss, there's constant side villains going on. But once you do get to the mini boss and once you get to the main boss, everyone's gone. There isn't a single person left except for the last person, which makes no logical sense in reality, but works perfectly in both of these two films. It's also worth noting in the raid, the camera is also a lot closer to the action than Judge Dredd as bullets, you know, can travel a good distance. So they keep a distance from each other when they're fighting. Yeah. And that makes sense in, in so many ways too. Like it's stylistically very different. When you're having hand-to-hand combat, you have to be closer to follow the action. When you're having uh, gunplay, you don't need to be quite that close. So Max, you have the numbers in front of you. What is the actual body count of each of these films? Well, in Dread, the one where we have seemingly more firepower, the body count is 102, whereas the raid is 121 which is kind of all those just guys coming out and appearing out of nowhere. The violence in these movies is insane. I don't know which one I would say is actually more graphic per se. I would probably lean towards the raid because of the types of violence that is instilled upon the criminals attacking them. There's a lot more variety. Like someone gets an ax to the head. Someone gets a broken piece of wood to the neck. People get their throats slit. People get shot. People get beaten to death with a machete. With It's fists. more personal because there's actually a physical person doing that damage to another human being, whereas a bullet is very impersonal. And I feel that in the raid, they do have to wrestle with that a little more in terms of what they're actually doing to these people. It's not a whole lot more because both films, like, like you said earlier, give, give each other a green light in terms of just inflicting violence upon people. But because of the way that it's done, they do have to think about it a little bit more is this what needs to happen here or is there another way whereas in dread it's just such a a quick action with seemingly no consequences because you know they are judges they they are the law they are above the law in many ways so they don't have to worry about it what they do is right no matter what they do and then because bullets are so impersonal in the raid anyway it's taken as a point of pride that you wouldn't just shoot someone there's no dissatisfaction in that so one of the sub bosses mad dog in this movie actually just puts away his gun and fights one of the other policemen hand to hand before killing him with great satisfaction that is such a good sequence too because it gives our villain a little bit more character it makes them a little bit more honorable as well i mean i don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that villains are always honorable but when you put a little bit of it in there it makes them more interesting when they have a line that they're refused to cross it makes them a more interesting character even when they do cross the line um, and in this movie that's pretty much mad dog's rule i won't kill anybody with a gun unless i have to well, it's also a little bit of arrogance on his part too as he knows he can beat this other officer without a gun but even so like there's a point where he's fighting um our what end up being our two main protagonists at the end and there's no reason there to be arrogant after he's seen what's gone on it's like he's the challenge excites him and i think that makes him more interesting although he almost wins it's one of it's one of the more set like although the violence had gone on so long at that point that it gets a little bit tedious for me in the raid because after about the 30 minute mark maybe a little longer by like the 45 minute mark or so the stakes don't really change anymore everything just kind of from that point on continues moving in a line but it's only after you figure out that andy the other sub boss of the big bad drug lord is actually rama's the main character's brother the stakes shift and so for me the violence i guess had just gotten a little tedious at that point but even so the fight choreography is impressive and it's also very satisfying so many times in movies that kind of a fight sequence ends up with somebody doing something that they shouldn't be able to do they get like a a uh, deus ex machina kind of moment where it's like oh all of a sudden this person has special powers or special abilities or something that helps them overcome this in the best movies or the best fights in uh, this type of storytelling it's something that happens naturally or something that our characters have uh, grown to eventually develop and this is the right time to use it and and in this movie, our characters don't have that kind of 
a moment. They don't like suddenly realize something new. They just get lucky. Yeah, luck is definitely a factor. And variety is also a factor here too because you never see uh, either movie really pull the same move twice. In fact, even when Dredd tries to use the same type of special fun bullets twice, they kind of change it up on him and he's suddenly out. So he has to improvise. That is a good moment in Dread where they do actually run out of bullets. I didn't think they were going to, but they, the fact that they actually did was a, a nice surprise. It made it made me feel good. And like you said, it changes the dynamic a little bit. It's no longer super straightforward in what Dread has to do. He has to improvise and find other alternatives. Well, yeah, that and the fact that pretty much throughout the entire movie, both movies actually, the officers are on the attack then they're on the defense and then they go in for the attack again i think a really fun difference that happens in the movies is when they do have to improvise i think um in the raid i really like the fact that our characters have to go down before they can go back up that was a really fun moment um because it's just such a cool sequence they're chopping through the floor with an axe and they have to get into the floor below them and even once they drop down to the floor below them there's criminals attacking them there it's just it's such an amazing claustrophobic moment where it's just do or die we have to get out of here and then after that kind of a moment to choose to take it all the way to the top it makes another nice dramatic turn um as well and then for dread it's pretty much constantly going up there is no going back down so there there's no uh, reverse on that one. They uh, they go, actually, you know what? That's a lie. They actually do go down a little bit when they escape outside onto that uh, precariously high skate park on the outside <laughs> of the building. They, uh, they're down there and they have to climb back up. So for a little bit of safety, yeah, they do retreat in both cases. Gotcha. I don't remember them going down exactly, but I don't, I don't, doubt, I don't doubt it. That's one of the things that um, because the tower in Dread is a kilometer high, 200 stories, it's easy to get lost spatially at certain points. So they do have to reference the floor numbers a little bit more often because they're also skipping like 50 floors at a time. You can't expect them to go through 200 floors. It's not a video game with 200 levels. It's a movie that has like an hour and 35 minute runtime, which it is yeah. the shorter of the two movies. Yeah, and they actually have access to an elevator for Dread as well, which is nice because the elevator is only exclusively used uh, for the bad guys in the raid. Yeah, and I think, oh no, they do use the elevator going back up too. I was going to say, I thought the elevator only had them coming down, but that's incorrect. Pretend I didn't say that, listeners. And I also want to make sure to mention in either case, the fantastic scores for either of these, which kind of borders on industrial and techno at the same time, this propulsive music uh, in both of these movies, which is kind of, it sets the mood so well when you're fighting. <laughs> a great score is is key to any movie. For me, for the raid, unfortunately, uh, it just didn't quite come through, and that's I, I think almost exclusively because of the circumstances I was watching it, which is just unfortunate. Sometimes I have a lot of trouble with the streaming services having the dialogue on the same level as the action and the, and the score, etc. It's just it doesn't feel mixed properly, and that was my experience with the raid on Amazon. The dialogue was so quiet that I just, I had to crank it down anytime the action came up. And then in particular, the score on the raid is always uh, an interesting bit of history. So we'll, uh, we'll uh, segue a little bit here into history, history facts, and box office. So regarding the score, Max, what what happened? What, what makes it interesting or different? Well, as far as the raid is concerned, uh, Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park was actually asked to put that onto the American version of the raid after it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2011. Uh, so it was, yeah, a completely new thing to uh, kind of pitch it to American audiences, uh, whereas the other score uh, for The Raid was a little less percussive. Gotcha. Okay, I'm, I'm going to assume that since I watched it on Amazon Prime under the title The Raid Redemption, which was also, I believe, added after the fact for the American release, that that's yeah. the version I was <laughs> they, listening to. They added The Redemption that was... Not there, I guess. Like, no one is exactly redeemed in the movie. Yeah, it's a very misleading title because, like, our main character doesn't need to be redeemed. And then the one person that he's trying to save isn't redeemed at all. He, he chooses to remain a criminal. So it's like, I, the redemption title, just, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Especially considering what happens to that character in the sequel. But... <laughs> oh, I, I don't remember the sequel at all, so... I'm just uh, going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, but Joey, which one of these movies do you think was more successful? More successful? 
I guess in terms of total box office, I'm gonna assume it was Dread, uh, just because I... I feel like it had a lot more publicity and a lot more uh, money behind it. Add that to the fact there's the uh, supernatural kind of sci-fi part of it. Maybe since maybe more of the sci-fi than the supernatural. I just, just psychics, so maybe that's part of a sci-fi deal. But uh, yeah, adds a certain allure. And you would be correct as Dread made about 13 million domestically, 27 overseas for a total of about 41 million. So not a huge success considering the budget was around 50 million. So it came a little short on that one. Dang, and, uh, I thought it, I thought it was more of a, a hit than that. Nope, definitely not. Even though you know, pretty well received. Whereas uh, the raid made for just under one point two million dollars and uh, grossed only domestically four million, five million internationally for. 9.1 worldwide but considering its profit margin uh yeah i'd say that one was actually an insane success definitely especially because that one actually spawned as you mentioned earlier a sequel whereas dread is definitely set up to have a sequel but we don't we never get it and we probably never will and that's okay the movie's good enough on its own it doesn't need a sequel but a sequel would be pretty cool i would absolutely love a sequel to pretty much either of these movies further sequels but I, one of the alluring points of Dread was the fact that it felt like a one-shot comic book. Like, this is just one story of his. Exactly. It just kind of exists on its own. It's like one comic arc. We don't need to go any further than this. And then both films, relatively well-received uh, as well. The Raid on Rotten Tomatoes has 86% critically. Audience has 87 Metacritic is 73 out of 100. Uh, and uh, Dread, you got 79 critically in Rotten Tomatoes with a 72 audience score and 60 out of 100 on Metacritic. So not too shabby as far as uh, being liked. Like none of no one hated these movies, except for Roger Ebert, who, as it turns out, gave uh, The Raid one out of four stars. Well, Roger can't always be right, you know? I do like his opinion. His opinion was something that really matters to me in terms of how I... I will view a film. Even years after he died, I'm still visiting his website because it, it's like the gold standard of reviewing. And while he may have been wrong in this case, um, yeah, he usually was pretty on the pulse of things. And even if we disagreed with him, you got to respect him. And I think that's the biggest thing of a critic is to be consistent and respectful because then you can judge your own opinion based on theirs. Even if you disagree, you know that you're probably going to disagree going in. And even that can be helpful. Even though I strongly disagree that Roger Ebert never uh, reviewed Scott Pilgrim versus the world because he didn't like video games, I can respect what he would have thought of it. I think if he lived longer, he would have to because it's it's a whole new ball game now. He, I don't think he could have pretended that that didn't happen. I think he would have changed with the times because he was that kind of a person. True. Like he's been known to go back on his reviews as well because time changes everything. Like he famously uh, only gave Jurassic Park like a three originally, but when it was re-released in 2012, he gave it four. Of course you'd remember that one. Okay, there's that too. Uh, another <laughs> favorite of mine is also The Fountain, which he reviewed poorly when it first came out in 2006. But upon further reviewing it and, you know, adapting from internet culture, he hears some stuff, some analysis that completely changes his view on the movie and his review improves as well. Which, drifting away from Roger Ebert at this point, we are also kind of doing that in a little bit because we are often reviewing films that we've seen already. No matter our opinions originally, we're trying our best to come in unbiased um, into the next time. Although... In our last episode, as you noticed, it didn't really work. Our biases were very strong. But oh, I felt I learned the most because I acknowledged that Dante's Peak was, you know, the better, but not <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's the box office. What about the history of these films, Max? Which film came out first and which one started production first? Ah, well, I mean, that's always the fun part about these movies as on the surface, you wouldn't think these are actually dueling movies, but uh, released first was The Raid, which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2011, whereas Dread theatrically wasn't released until a year later in September of 2012. But the fun part about this is the fact that Dread, due to its high uh, special effects needs, started production in November of 2010, whereas 
is it's reported that the raid was still in production in May of 2011, only a few months before it was actually released, festival-wise. So Dread starts production first, but comes out last due to a couple factors. One, visual effects. Two, because director uh, Pete Travis actually had himself embroiled in a little bit of conflict in the editing room, so much so that... Uh, writer Alex Garland is reported to be the actual director of the movie. Um, but uh, Pete Travis did get uh, credit at the very end. Yeah, I was reading some uh, trivia on IMDb and it came across the fact that Carl Urban is on record saying that Alex Garland actually directed the film. I'd like to go back and check out those interviews myself to see his specific wording, but that that's a big difference right there. That's a big change. But it's not unheard of in this business, especially when you go back to 1982, you have Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper, but reportedly actually directed by the writer of the movie, Steven Spielberg, Spiel as he was on set constantly. Spielberg wrote Poltergeist? He did. I didn't know that. I knew he was the producer. Also, like, is it Toby? I've always just thought it's Tobe. Nope, I'm pretty sure it's Toby. I mean, that makes more sense, but I like the idea of it being Tobe, so I, I don't know. I'll, I'll check it later. Like, what up, Tobe? Exactly. Like, I just like that name. <laughs> but yeah, so you got interesting uh, timelines for production uh, as far as Dread's concerned. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure, um, yeah, all the technology involved in Dread was definitely a factory and it coming out a year later. Plus, you have to find the good slot for it. September, eh, not really the best time uh, to release as far as uh, quality product is concerned but it found its audience eventually and unlike some of our other films these weren't like competing studio movies they're just two different movies that came out at the same time that just happened to be incredibly similar yeah there's no real evidence to think that one poached from the other they yeah like especially with their confusing timelines it's just a very simple idea fight your way up a building so i don't think there's anything malicious in this one which is crazy when you think about how similar they are some of the other movies that we've reviewed so far are way less similar than these two and they were intentionally competing with each other yeah the turner hooch and k9 immediately come to mind because that was definitely competing studios well i wonder if maybe the fact that they weren't competing is partially why they are so similar they don't have to distinguish themselves from each other they're not trying to do that they're not trying to be two different movies they're just trying to be good movies and they succeeded in that which also speaking of i think this is easily the closest we've ever seen thus far with the audience score and the critic score they are almost identical which is usually not the case usually there's a pretty big spread between how critics feel about a film and how the audience feels about a film this one it seems like the critics were on the pulse of the audience mm -hmm. especially i think like the worlds established in these movies you know what you're gonna get and i think yeah the critics and the audience both knew that and they liked what they saw so everyone pretty much enjoyed what they got out of these movies uh joey what, what was uh, what were your favorite parts about these movies well i'm gonna go ahead and say one of my least favorite parts first and then i'm gonna go into uh favorite parts in dread there is a moment where judge dread gets shot and the thing about it is there's no way that he doesn't know he's about to get shot so the fact that he just stands there bugs me. But at the same time, you fully expect him to not get shot because in all action movies, they miraculously avoid getting shot, such as earlier in the movie where there's these chain Gatling guns that they just blow up an entire floor with in Dread. And there is no way. There's literally no way they survive. That part took me out. It was just too unbelievable. And then later, they do something that's like the exact opposite in terms of unbelievable. It's so small scale. It, it, and instead of him avoiding getting shot, that's when he gets shot. It just, those two moments really bugged me a lot. But other than that, I really enjoyed Dread. With that too, um, it's a bit of tension as far as him standing against the wall. He knows he's about to get shot, but he knows he can't move otherwise. So he chooses to get shot rather than, you know, dive out of the way and risk, you know, further fire upon himself. Which like, what if he dies right there? Don't you try to avoid getting shot at all costs? Isn't that the right move, Max? I mean, I suppose he could have moved as he saw the trail of bullets coming towards him. Um, but I don't know, it was a moment of tension, which actually doesn't happen in Dread terribly often, which is something I like in the raid even more as it actually uses tension very well with the main characters hiding at various points or just, you know, gearing up before a fight. 
because you know it's going to be epic. And I think in the raid, the fact that they kill one of the uh, main protagonists partway through the movie just ups the stakes quite a bit. You don't know if people are going to survive in the raid. Whereas in Dread, I have no doubt that Judge Dread is going to survive because it's like a comic series. The whole thing is so over the top and he's already survived these completely improbable situations that if he were to die that would be more unrealistic to me. Yeah, it's basically a superhero movie, so you know the superhero is not going to die. His sidekick, on the other hand, uh, has the most emotional growth, which I uh, appreciate, with Dread, And she definitely could have died at any point, but she grows and uh, kind of adjusts her role in this justice department, dispatching her own justice, uh, even if she's going to fail at this point. She wants to do the right thing towards the end of the movie, and she uses her own gifts to help her. Like, my favorite moment in Dread is at the very end, there's a dirty cop who's going to try to, you know, get on her good side and shoot her in the back, whereas the clairvoyant Anderson just reads her mind and shoots her. <laughs> it's such a simple but good use of her psychic abilities. I think that's, I think the two things I like the most about Dread are they don't overreach too much with her psychic abilities and they use it really well. There's a, there's a great scene where she's kind of battling inside the mind of uh, one of the criminals who they have captured. Um, that sequence is really good and really fun and disturbing. And I think the other thing that's just so good in the movie is how the slow-mo works. Like the use of slow-mo and the use of that drug in the movie just adds a whole new level to the visual aspects of the movie and the storytelling possibilities. It's something that you sometimes catch yourself hating because it feels like it's overdone or overblown or overutilized. Whereas because it's part of the story, it's it, you never feel that way. It's, it's diegetic. It feels like it belongs in the movie. And even as you're thinking, hey, this might be overused, you love it while you're watching it. It's only after the fact that you, you question it. Yeah, and even in the movie, like they use it as a form of torture, which is one of the best ways to kill somebody I've seen in a movie. It's awful, but it's amazing. Yeah. Is they, they get somebody high on this drug that slows everything down to 1% of reality and throw them off the top of a building. And it's just like, holy shit, how amazing and genius of a way to torture somebody is that? At the same time, you're like, that is horrific on every single level. And it's only enhanced by like the Blade Runner-esque just weird chanting going on while you're experiencing slow-mo from uh, Paul Leonard Morgan's score. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird experience and it's definitely enjoyable. Apparently that moment, the, the, the music that they use in the slow-mo sequences is based on slowing down a Justin Bieber song by like 800%. <laughs> which is a disturbing thought, but it totally works. Like, I, I assume they changed uh, it later on, but yeah. I, I, I got to figure out what song it was because I like a lot of Justin Bieber's music. Pop music is kind of my jam, and it's just very unexpected. Or it's like, when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. It is this weird, slow-mo, euphoric, happy kind of music where people are dying. So like that final sequence where they throw off uh, Lena Headey's uh, mama character is pretty excellent. And then like in terms of the raid, I think my favorite part is everything that involves that axe. Like they do such a good job of establishing an axe coming into it. They never really get a close-up shot of it. So it's not like foreshadowing by putting a gun in someone's hand early on in a film and having a super close-up of it it's just naturally part of the action and then all of a sudden they need an axe to chop through a floor and then after they chop through that floor that axe becomes a weapon and holy crap is that just a cool set of sequences involving that axe i think the fight choreography in the raid is the best part of the movie because the whole movie is built around the fight choreography in the raid and that would sometimes that like ruins a scene you know, they, they, they Game of Thrones it. They come up with a sequence that they want to do and then they shoehorn it into a story. Whereas the raid is built from the ground up entirely about this. They're, they're not trying to fit it into a pre-existing story or into a different arc. They just built the arc around it. And that's why it works. It just works because the choreography is so great and they showcase it in every possible moment 
without it feeling unnecessary or forced. You have to fight, otherwise you're going to die. And with that, they actually show most of the action Uh, Unlike a lot of American action movies, um, they don't use editing to cover up a lot of it. They show choreographed action in its entirety and only cut when it needs to change. So you see the actual performers going down, which the actors in that movie are proficient in. There's a couple moments in the raid where the action isn't quite perfect but you forgive it because so much of it is. It's like when they're doing these really long takes, you can't expect every moment to be 100% perfect. You've kind of just got to improvise with it, which is what happens in an actual fight too. Some of these misses actually end up working to the advantage of the film because it feels more organic. All right. Well, we have been jawing about these movies, although I think we have to figure out which one is the victor. Winner, winner, who's the winner? Oh God, this is, for me, this is easily the closest because coming into this episode i didn't actually have an answer uh yeah very similar like i had watched both of these before and uh, i know that's kind of sometimes doesn't work with this particular comparison but yeah after watching these i did my own little uh the gears are turning in my head and figuring out which one is actually better and i actually came to the conclusion that the raid is a better movie. Tension it employs is way more enjoyable than just shooting everything in sight. The camera work is an essential character. And one of the main points I love more about is the fact that the main villain has a sense of humor. (laughs) That's actually a very good point because that you don't usually see that unless it's like an emphasized part of their character. Either the villain is over the top and humor is a part of that kind of a, a person who's just joking all the time. Time, or it's it's not there at all. In this movie, they do strike a nice balance with our with our villains. Yeah, Lena Headley is certainly menacing, but there's nothing enjoyable about it. Yeah, she's kind of just a terrible person in every sense of the word. Like, she's been through a lot, granted, but you know what? A lot of serial killers have also been through a lot. It's not really an excuse, um, especially once you murder. In this movie, she specifically murders, I don't know, at least 20 people. All right, what, what do you think? What's it, What's the better one? Uh, I think... It's tough, right? <laughs> it's, it's so tough because I think for me, like, I love the visuals in dread more i think just that aspect almost puts it over the top but i gotta give it to the raid because i think the story is more interesting the performances are more interesting and the fight choreography is just out of this world as you mentioned before you think in some ways that the raid 2 surpasses the raid in terms of fight choreography so i am super excited to revisit that but yeah i'm also gonna have to give it to the raid by like the slightest margin this is easily the closest they've been for me i think honestly if that chain gun sequence had gone a little bit differently dread might be up there like that's how close it is that scene upset me so much that it's like all right this is where you lost me after all of this other sci-fi bs you lost me on the fact that they survived this sequence (laughs) and i think i think the only thing i really don't like about the raid is you mentioned it gets a little tedious at times because the guys keep coming so if they had shortened a lot of those fights a little bit it would be perfect it's more personal everything hurts more so I felt more with this movie. And I think also the fact that they don't have the uh, the brother character completely come around at the end. He does save the day and he does help them get to safety, but he doesn't change his ways. And I think that's just a very unique ending. Usually that character dies saving the protagonist, saving our hero. And so they sacrifice themselves for the greater good. In this situation, they sacrifice themselves without having to die and they refuse to change their ways. It's it's a very good ending. I think he's also going to try to instill some kind of good in the organization after the main bad is killed. I guess that's kind of left up to viewer discretion. Like, I wouldn't say that it's inherently implied that that's what's going to happen, but it does seem that he's going to run things differently. We just don't fully know what differently is. Ooh, that's worth mentioning too. The main bad guy in the raid, not killed by our protagonist. He's killed by a dirty cop. Oh yeah, that's that's another good point. So it changes up the dynamic, yeah. Yeah, it changes up the dynamic and it also makes it a little different, right? Because now our protagonist isn't a cold-blooded murderer. In Dread, that's pretty much what happens at the end, right? Like they're judged- The executes are risking everyone in the building's life in a gamble uh, that the bomb attached to uh, the main boss's uh, 
arm won't go off because there's 200 stories of concrete between them and the detonator. It's just an unnecessary risk. Like, why would you do that? It's just, that's one of the things that, you know, bugs me about Dread, and it's also part of the whole through line of the movie, is that this character just does what he does, and he can do no wrong. And so I think that moral through line in the raid also elevates it to another level. Although, obviously, in Dread, because of the way it's set, it seems to be somewhat satirical. It just doesn't quite work for me. Well, it doesn't quite work for me as well as it does in the raid. All right. Well, we're back on track, as we both seem to agree on this one, the raid wins out just a little bit and before we go i just i want to mention this because it's something that did come up in our canine and turner and hooch episode dirty cops in films and cops in films are something that i i don't think we can pretend isn't important anymore like when i was a kid buddy films well even still now buddy films are probably my favorite genre of film and therefore buddy cop films also fits in there lethal weapon as i've said before is my favorite franchise but when you go back with a fine-tooth comb and you look at a lot of these these movies portraying police officers you can't be having these good police officers these supposedly good police officers in these films portrayed as good doing these horrific ethical violations these extrajudicial killings like it's just we have to change how people write these movies we can't just like accept it anymore police officers should operate within the law because that's their job like an officer like Martin Riggs should be fired and excluded from society, much like Mel Gibson should be as well. You can't just let this stuff go in movies and TV shows anymore. Like you probably shouldn't have in the first place, but I feel now more than ever, you just, you can't. People need to be held accountable. Now, granted, that's part of what censorship in movies was doing in the early days of movies anyhow. Like you had to have the criminal gangsters killed at the end of a movie. Otherwise you couldn't make a gangster film because it would be glorifying gangsters but i just think when it comes to police officers we need to step up our standard in story writing a little bit more yeah there has to be some nuance which is again why i appreciate the raid because they kind of save the protagonist's soul by not having him doing executions all right so we come to another episode's end as always we thank you for listening Please like and subscribe to the podcast. We also would love to hear your thoughts at any moment. Uh, we appreciate your listening and your continued support of our podcast. Please check us out on Instagram and on Twitter. On Instagram, it is Twinima Cinema, and on Twitter, it is Cinema Twinima. And also, don't forget that Facebook. All right, as always, I was Max. I'm Joey. Good night and good luck. Stay safe out there, everyone. So next time, we're going to be doing something a little bit special. We're going to be launching our first mini episode, in which case we're going to go through uh, a certain franchise uh, about a certain goalie. A goalie that never seems to let anyone get past him. Except his mommy issues. We hope you'll listen.